What's up, Tiaholics? Welcome back to the Tea on Crime. It's your host, Britt. And I'm the co-host, Jessica, wife and true crime skeptic. Just as a reminder before we get started, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply our own and are only presented to educate. We've linked the case sources in the episode notes below. Hold on real quick, you guys. We're jumping into an ad. This week, I'm telling you the story of Ashley Loring, Heavy Runner, and this is episode 19. Before we start this episode, I want to provide you with some information. The National Crime Information Center reports that in 2020, there were 5,295 reports of missing women and girls, all of them Native American and Alaskan Natives. But the U.S. Department of Justice Federal Missing Person Database, NamUs, only logged 116 cases. Oh. Isn't that sad? That's pretty significantly lower exactly a lot a lot there is also a social movement called mmiw which stands for missing and murdered indigenous women they advocate for the end of violence against native women it also seeks to draw attention to high rates of disappearances and murders of native people about four out of five native women have experienced violence native women are about twice as likely than white women to experience violence native women face murder rates 10 times the national average Average, and the murder rate for Native women is three times more than that of a white woman. Goodness. We have included a link in our show notes to support this movement, and I highly encourage everyone to check this meaningful movement out. I find it interesting that these are pretty serious numbers, and yet I have never heard of MMIW. It's a really cool movement, and I was looking through their website today as I was going over the case, and they have donations that you can contribute. They have a lot of interesting facts and ways that you can help. They also have merchandise you can purchase, which is pretty cool. I always found it very interesting that not a lot is reported in regards to the Native American community, and I've always wondered why. I think it's horrible. It is. There needs to be more cases out there for sure that are talked about. Absolutely. Ashley Loring Heavy Runner was born November 23rd, 1996 on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in Browning, Montana. Her parents are Loxie and Roy Loring Heavy Runner. That's such a long name. Mm -hmm. And she has two sisters, Kimberly and Johnny Lynn. I've always thought that the Native American last names were always really, really cool. Side note, so in the field that I used to work in and then moved, but Brittany is still in it, you'll get applications and they do business in all 52 states. Well, 50 states and two territories, right? So you will get Native American applicants from like South Dakota, North Dakota, Arizona, New Mexico, wherever. And it's really cool because you can always tell when they come across because it'll be their last names are like killed in water warrior one yeah that's really cool and they get to pick them right i'm not sure it was back with their initial ancestors and they were given the name based off of like what they did oh okay i wasn't sure if they got to pick them or not but you know i mean it could be different and it might be different now and we could be totally wrong (laughs) we could be totally wrong (laughs) just know i think it's cool and a lot of respect to it 
Ashley was 20 years old when she was last seen in June of 2017. Ashley's mother described her daughter as a smart, athletic, positive, and always willing to help kind of person. She was someone who loved to ride horses and she loved the rain. She was an excellent student and excelled in everything she did, but she was known to be humble and kind to everyone around her. Ashley was enrolled in Blackfeet Community College and was studying environmental science. She loved nature and animals. She was very passionate about the environment. In March of 2017, Ashley called her sister Kimberly and asked if she could come stay with her in Missoula, Montana, but Kimberly told Ashley that she was preparing to leave for a three-month trip to Morocco to see her boyfriend, but that Ashley could come stay with her when she returned. Kimberly and Ashley were extremely close and did everything together, so the two of them became very excited over the thought of living together once Kimberly returned from her trip. Kimberly was expected to arrive back from Morocco on June 8th of 2017, but three days prior on June 5th, Kimberly received a Facebook message from Ashley asking her to send some money. Kimberly responded by asking Ashley if she was okay, and Ashley's response was always, what about you? Kimberly's response back was telling Ashley that she would be home by 10 p.m. on June 8th, and Kimberly asked if she was at home. Ashley's response was no. Kimberly didn't ask any further questions because she figured they would catch up when she returned from her trip. By 10.25 p.m. on June 8th, Kimberly never heard anything from Ashley, which was a little odd considering Kimberly knew that she was planning to come stay with her and she was excited for her sister's return home after her three-month trip. Kimberly checked Facebook Messenger and was able to see that Ashley was active 18 hours prior. Kimberly begins to message some of Ashley's friends to see if anyone had recently seen or heard from her and each friend told Kimberly no. The last time they had seen or heard from Ashley was on June 5th, which was the day that Ashley had originally texted Kimberly asking for her to send money. Interesting. It's a long time to not see your hear from her. I feel like this is going to go sideways very quick. <laughs> That's what we're known for. <laughs> I mean, you and your stories, not me. Ashley's family wasn't very worried at this point because Ashley was known to constantly either break her phone or lose her phone. So they all assumed this was one of those situations. They weren't worried that she was missing for three days? They weren't. I guess it was super common for her to just kind of go without her phone or leave it behind or break it. So they didn't find it super concerning at that point. Huh. Maybe some people don't find it's weird if you're gone for three days. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. The fear of something being wrong with Ashley really started to set in when Roy Loring, Ashley's father, was admitted into the hospital and everyone in the family was attempting to reach her and there was never a response. Her family knew that Ashley wouldn't just not show up for something like that. The family contacted Black Police for help as well as the Bureau of Indian Affairs, also known as the BIA. During this time, Kimberly didn't give up on reaching out to all of Ashley's friends. She was able to find that on June 5th, Ashley attended a party. It was starting to come together that none of her friends had actually seen or heard from Ashley since the night of this party. Oh my goodness, is this going to be like a, what's what's her name that was on, that was partying on that boat and then went missing? What is her name? It was the first episode we ever did together. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> Amy's, Amy something. It's not the same. I did read that in 2017, when all of these things were happening, a video came out and was going all over the internet of Ashley at this party. She was sitting on the couch holding a drink. That was it. That was the extent of the video. The video has since been removed and I wasn't able to see it. Law enforcement conducted a search for Ashley that had a time span of three days and they were not able to find anything. I do want to point out though that the reservation does span 1.5 million acres. And you only searched for three? 
three days. Three days. Is that normal? Don't they usually search for like a week? I think in these cases, unfortunately, it's normal. In other cases, they get more media attention. Perhaps, let's say, with a white woman, it they would search longer, yes. So if a case gets media attention, then that's what extends the time for the search? I mean, it doesn't always extend it. I'm just saying that I think with more well-known cases, it's definitely longer. But I think in cases like this, three days is probably hey, we looked, it's all good, we're done. Isn't there a statistic that they state pretty much if you don't find somebody within like the first 36 to 72 hours that you can basically presume that they're dead? Yeah, they always say like the first 48 hours are... The most crucial. Yeah, exactly. Kimberly can be seen in interviews discussing Ashley's case and any information she has been able to find out. Kimberly did find out that the night of the party on June 5th, Ashley had a very strange encounter with their father, Roy. Ashley ran into their parents' house that night and started to close all of the blinds and cover the windows, and she began to say over and over again that she had done something, but she wouldn't say what it was. Soon after she arrived at the house and closed all of the blinds, a car arrived at their property. Roy went to look and see who was in the car and what exactly was going on, but Ashley got angry with her father and told him not to look. So Roy did not look. Ashley gets up, leaves the house, gets into the car with whoever was in there, and she leaves. Based on the timeline of these events, it's assumed that Ashley went directly from her parents' house to this house party. The host of this house party is named Vernon. Not long after this party, a few days later, a tip would come into police that a witness had spotted a young woman running from a vehicle on Highway 89. Ashley's family received word of this tip, and they took it upon themselves to immediately go and search the long span of this highway. What her family found is something that they believe to be really important evidence and a huge lead. They located a pair of red-stained boots and a ripped-up sweater. Her family bagged up these items and sent them to the BIA to be processed. The family was told that these items would be processed for DNA, and later we would learn that these items sat untouched in a box for months. They were never tested. What? Yes. So is the BIA essentially, are they similar to the FBI, but for Native American individuals? Yes, they are. And they just let all of this evidence go untested. Untested, yeah. And it kind of was really sad to learn that the family were the ones that, I mean, they got the, the tip went into police, obviously, but then the family took it upon themselves to go and search the highway. There was never any reports of the police went out and helped them or that anyone else helped them. And it's the family bagging what was found and sending it in. I feel like that's really backwards. I just find it very interesting that a Bureau of Indian Affairs, and they, you know damn well that they know the statistics, right, of how many of these Native American women go missing, how many murders, how many rapes, however much violence cases, they're pervy to this information. And the fact that they obviously didn't take this serious, I'm super angry right now. Yes. I don't understand why we didn't do anything. Right. I hate these stories. <laughs> so the items, like I said, were never tested. There's also conflicting reports that the sweater had actually gone missing and is no longer included in the evidence box. 
Kimberly and her family believe that if they weren't the ones searching for Ashley, boxing up their own evidence that they were finding and sending these items to law enforcement, that nothing would be happening in Ashley's case. And unfortunately, I think she's right. It's too bad that they couldn't just send it to an independent company to test it for themselves. Right. The BIA and the Blackfeet Police Department did not take Ashley's case seriously at all. They looked for her for three days and decided that was enough. Blackfeet law enforcement said that they were doing everything they could, but they did not have enough funding to put forth more effort. I did learn while looking into this case that tribe police cannot charge anyone with a major crime. They have to wait for the federal agencies to take action. Did you know that? would be the FBI? Yes. No, I did not know that. So any major case, they actually can't really do anything. They can't charge people. They have to wait, essentially, for other agencies to step in, which I think is really sad. Well, it does make sense, because if you think about it, in major cases like this, when there's evidence of major foul play, the FBI or the CIA immediately gets involved and takes over the cases. But I find it weird that these awful crimes and situations are really mind-numbing to me because why are there so many holes in every case? And why does all the evidence always go missing? It always goes missing. Or doesn't get tested. Right. I don't, I'm confused. Well, it's sad and it's Is it like a lottery? If you don't get picked, if your number's not drawn three, then they're not going to do anything for you. Right. Which is horrible. Even their own police. How? Uh, Again. So let's go back to the sweater and red stained boots that were found. The area that these items were located in are near a lake and also a cabin. The cabin belongs to a man named Sam McDonald, and Sam becomes a crucial part of Ashley's story prior to her going missing. It's hard to find solid information on everything that has happened in this case, as well as everything that happened on the night of June 5th, 2017. It seems that everyone has a foggy memory of this, but we're going to do our best. Foggy memory because they were drinking or just coincidentally enough. Exactly. I think people piece together what they want to remember or what they want to provide to people in situations like this. And then it's kind of like the family, for example, Kimberly, who's Ashley's biggest advocate, kind of has to piece everything together to figure out what really happened. The night of the party which is also the last night that Ashley is seen, June 5th, 2017. She was trying to get a ride home from multiple people. According to a kid named Timmy that was at the party, Ashley wanted to leave the party with a certain group of people, but this group of people in the car wouldn't let Ashley leave with them because she was apparently too drunk. It's rumored that after this, Ashley made her way to a different house party and the homeowner of this house His name is Big Al. While at Big Al's house, Ashley started to talk to Sam McDonald. Sam and Ashley are seen talking in the kitchen. I want to point out to you that Sam is 50 at this time and Ashley is again 20. Why is a grown man at a party? Is this normal? (laughs) I don't understand. I mean, I'm not sure it's normal for everyone, but it is a little weird, isn't it? Is this like a Bill Murray situation to where he's like 80 (laughs) and goes clubbing like he's 20? Well, I would also be interested to know how did she get there? Did she walk? Was she given a ride? And I think it's interesting that the people she originally wanted to leave with would not allow her in the car with them for a ride because she was apparently too drunk. Yeah. That was a little weird. Sam can be seen giving an interview after Ashley had gone missing, where he is specifically asked why he hangs out with much younger people, and Sam's answer is odd, 
to say the least. Surprise. Sam says, why does there have to be something wrong with me? Why would a 20-year-old girl want to hang out with a 50-year-old man? The producer during this interview then asks Sam the question, meth? What? To which Sam responds, quote, party? Like Dwight Yoakam says, a pretty little girl and a jug of wine, that's what it takes to make a honky-tonk time. What's the difference? End quote. I love that we immediately went to drugs. Well, there's a reason. Oh. <laughs> We're getting there. Of course there is. According to Sam McDonald, Ashley approaches him at the party and tells Sam that she wants to leave with him. And according to Sam, the two of them left and drove up to a cabin where the two of them partied for six days straight. Is that is that a thing? Can you party for six days? Can you be awake for six days straight on meth? Yeah. Oh, you can. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't know anything about any of that stuff. Okay. So at the time, Sam was a meth addict. He oh. claims that he isn't anymore, but at the time of this case, he was. Sam has said that he became clean mainly because Ashley had gone missing and he needs to find her. Okay, Sam. <laughs> I highly doubt that some 20-year-old made you see the light to find your sobriety. <laughs> Sam claims that during these six days that the two of them were partying together, Ashley did drugs with him. Like we talked about earlier, Ashley had a pretty good life and was focused on school, but there was a part of her life that she wasn't discussing. Oh. She had recently started drinking and doing drugs. Ashley was going through a breakup recently, as well as the passing of her grandfather, and all of these things her family believes contributed to the substances she was using. That's sad. Isn't it? Isn't meth one of those drugs I've heard that only takes once to be completely addicted to it? Yes, it does. Sam never said specifically which drugs they used while they were together for six days, but he did claim that during these days, there were many times that Ashley would randomly disappear into the woods alone and would randomly come back hours later, and when he would ask her where she went or what she was doing, Ashley would simply respond and say, I was just over there, and would point to the woods. This is only Sam's version of events, and we're never going to know Ashley's versions. If you're high on meth for six days straight, how accurate can your account actually be? Not accurate at all. So I think there's a part of, I'm not saying whether it's true or it's not true. Obviously, I don't know and we'll never know. But I think he definitely could have been hallucinating some of these things happening. I don't think the story is 100% for sure, especially if you haven't slept in six days. There's a lot of things that can happen. I... I'm just a little flabbergasted. Did they take his statements and or testimony seriously? I think it was just something that they were listening to, took it for what it was worth. I don't think any part of this case, as you've seen and as you're going to continue to see, seriously. was taken seriously at all. Sam claimed that he and Ashley were sexually involved, but he said that the last day he saw her was on June 11th, and he claims that he told Ashley it was time for her to go home and check in with her family. Oh, now you're, <laughs> now you're worried. Sam's showing up right now. Way to be a good guy, right? This must have been when you decided to get sober, Sam. <laughs> He also claims that the two of them go into the car and he drove both of them down the mountain and while they were driving, Ashley was texting someone and told him to pull over at a corner because Ashley had arranged another ride to come and pick her up. Ashley claimed that it was another man that she called V-Dog. Sam said that while he was waiting for her to be picked up, he decided to take a nap. 
He closed his eyes, and when he woke up, she was gone. Sam had been asleep for 40 minutes and claims that he spent the next hour looking for Ashley, driving up and down the road and calling out her name. When he couldn't find her, he assumed she had been picked up by her friend, and he drove home. So I find it weird that he says they essentially have been partying and doing drugs for five to six days, right? Not sleeping because we're doing meth, according to Sam. And then all of a sudden he takes a nap. I guess I'm confused because in my mind, right, chemically, your body would completely shut down. And I don't see you just sleeping for 40 minutes. I feel like it would be days before you woke back up. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that you could fall asleep and say, yes, I woke up exactly 40 minutes later on my own out of this meth induced, you know, party stage that they were going through. He would have been out for days. Yeah, Wouldn't (laughs) you be completely disoriented? Yes. But apparently, according to Sam, he was not because he still was with it enough to drive up and down the road for one whole hour looking for Ashley. Sam claims to have attended the local search parties for Ashley, to which Kimberly has stated he has never once searched for her. Sam also apparently has cameras all around his house and he has never once shown the camera footage to anyone and not long after Ashley went missing Sam decided to remodel his house. Sam you're looking pretty guilty to me. Looks a little sketchy right? Looks a little guilty. (laughs) A woman approached Kimberly and told her that Sam is known for making women feel uncomfortable and that he has a secret room inside his house and that one time he locked this woman inside the room. What? Yeah. Little when side it, fact when about it just Sam. became, what's that book called? Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, but like in a murderous, serial Horrible killer way. way. Yeah. Not the way that I think women had in mind. <laughs> now back to this V-dog person. And that's the person that Ashley claimed she was texting, right? No, that's the person Sam claimed Ashley was texting. Well, yes, you're right, that Sam claimed. If you could get your facts right. <laughs> this is a man named Paul Venezuela. He has an extensive criminal history. How do you say that? Valenzuela. Valenzuela. When you just said <laughs> the wait. country, it's fine. <laughs> How do you say it? Anyway, Paul. Now back to this V-Dog person. <laughs> Shut up, Jessica. <laughs> okay, ready. Valenzuela. No. It sounds the same. No. Venezuela. Valen. There's Valenz- an L and an N. Valenzuela. Valenzuela Valenzuela Now back to this V-dog person This is the person that Sam was claiming That Ashley was texting This is a man named Paul Valenzuela Because Brittany If you allow her to read it Because words are hard She's going to say Venezuela (laughs) Because this man's last name is obviously a country Thank you for your help So glad you're here (laughs) Venezuela He has an extensive criminal history, including being arrested for burglary and weapon convictions. At the time of this, Paul was in a very unstable relationship with a woman named T. Her full name is Tashina Running Crane. Paul was married to T, but was apparently having a sexual relationship with Ashley during the time. Oh, apparently everybody was. Good lord. It's very sad. It's sad because we're never going to know her side and if all of these allegations were true, but I feel like there's a lot of really sketchy people coming forward saying things about her and it makes me sad. It makes me sad that she is not there to defend herself against these awful reputation damaging. Yes. Ashley's sister Kimberly knows this woman, Tashina. Kimberly was able to ask her if she knew anything and at this point Tashina told Kimberly that she needed to ask Paul. She said, quote, 
Paul has her. Oh, wait. Tashina told Kimberly this? Yes. So apparently Kimberly and Tashina know each other. Okay. And she reached out wanting to know, hey, do you know what's going on with my sister? And that was the response is, you need to talk to Paul. Paul has her. Oh, okay. So maybe Sam, by God's grace, really only did take a 40-minute nap. And I still don't believe that. I, I, I don't. But anyway. Well, and we have to go back to you earlier in the story. The tip came in from someone stating that they saw a woman running from a vehicle on Highway 89. So I guess the question is, whose vehicle? And was it Ashley? I mean, that would make it so that those clothes were probably Mm -hmm. Ashley's. But I guess I would be interested to know, was it Paul? Or was it Sam? Or was she running from Sam to Paul? Right. He passed out. Okay. Right. Kimberly calls Paul to ask him about Ashley. And when she did, Paul freaks out on Kimberly and told her that Tashina was lying and that she actually knows a lot more than she was saying. Interesting. Why would you get defensive and freak out if you have nothing to hide? Right. Well, and I feel bad for Kimberly because she's just trying to figure out what happened to her sister. And there's so much back and forth that it's hard to keep up with. Paul claims that Tashina found out Ashley was sleeping with him and got so angry that she killed Ashley. Tashina claims that she didn't know anything about the sexual relationship until after Ashley went missing. Oh, goodness. A lot of pointing of the fingers here. I guess it would be, I think that would be really hard. I think that would put her sister in a really uncomfortable situation because you know this woman. So at the end of the day, and like all the other cases, how well do you actually know the people that you know and or people that you consider friends? Right, right. I would be so torn. There is a text conversation that takes place between Kimberly and Tashina that reads, quote, Paul's got her. He divorced me. He moved to Seattle or they're both in Shelby at Motel 6 or G-Funk, but she's blonde now. The hell is G-Funk? I'm not sure. I could not find anything relating to what that was, but that's verbatim what the text message says. So she claims that she's blonde now. He makes me sick. He's 50 years old. I'm prego, but I'm not going to have this sick fucks baby, end quote. Do we know how old Tashina is? She's older, right? She's older, yes. Okay, so Paul and Sam are 50 year mm-hmm. old men. Yes. Okay, apparently old men like young women, which we know, right? Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> we know from all the true crime podcasts that is true. Mm-hmm. When Kimberly took this information to law enforcement and they went to this Motel 6, they realized that all of this was made up. Paul was there, but he was with Tashina, and Tashina is the one that dyed her hair blonde. In 2017, there was an audio video uploaded to YouTube by Tashina called Setup. It was a 14-minute video of her explaining that Paul was trying to set her up for Ashley's disappearance. This video, of course, has since been taken down. Tashina has gone back and forth between claiming it was Paul that is responsible for Ashley's disappearance and then goes back and blames Sam McDonald. What do I feel like all three of them have to do with this? Are somehow connected? Are they? Are these three people connected? I, I don't think so. I know Tashina and Paul are, but does Tashina and Sam have anything to do with each other? It never comes out that they did, but I mean... Maybe if they were all involved in that kind of lifestyle, perhaps kind of we know of everyone kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I feel like if you're at a party and you're doing drugs with known addicts, right? Let's say just we'll entertain for a minute that she was doing drugs or she was experimenting in substance abuse. They're all at a party together. She is intoxicated, whether that's, you know, chemically induced or alcohol, right? Right. 
And then these two guys obviously seem like they're preying on younger women. Right. So they do whatever. And then I'm sure Tanisha does find out that Paul is being involved with Ashley, but I don't think it's Ashley's choice. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a Paul decided and this is what happened. Tanisha found out. And I guess at that point, depending on what her state of mind is, it can go either way. Right. Right. It can go to... You're hurting this poor girl or you're doing something to this girl too. Why are you with this girl? Why is this girl with you? And then going the crazy route, which is probably the route that she went. Right. No, that makes sense. It's very interesting how it all ties together. Do we know if she was an addict? It doesn't say, but I'm assuming she probably was. She also has quite an extensive criminal background. I think they're all tied together somehow. Mm -hmm. And I think that that seems like the common denominator. Yes. Tanisha also claims that Sam McDonald has a son named Doug, and Doug told Tanisha that he knows that his father, Sam McDonald, choked out Ashley because he was jealous that Ashley was involved with Paul. There's a lot of people coming in here, Mm -hmm. so stay with us. Tanisha claims that while Ashley and Sam were waiting for V-Dog, who we know is Paul, Sam must have killed Ashley out in the woods. Tanisha eventually left the reservation for good because she claimed the rumors and being blamed for Ashley's disappearance were all too much to handle. Paul went on the run for weapon charges and he ended up evading capture until September of 2017. He was arrested and sentenced to 20 months for his weapons crime. Okay. Sam claims that he is also being set up by Paul and Tishina. It's also a lot of back and forth blame between all of them, but there's still been no arrest because there's no solid evidence, and this is still considered an active case, so law enforcement hasn't had much comment on any of this. There's one more suspect that we haven't touched on yet. In January of 2018, so a few months after Ashley disappeared, Ashley's father Roy suffered a seizure and passed away. At her father's funeral, Kimberly was approached by someone who claimed Big Al knows something. Nothing else was said. That was the end of the conversation. And this was the alleged second party that she was at. Exactly. And she was seen with Sam. Yes, this is where she met Sam. Oh, there's so many things going on (laughs) in this case. Shortly after her father's funeral, a man named Big Al turned up dead. Oh. His torso was discovered by tribal police, and his hands were located as well. His head has never been found. The hell? (laughs) His killer was a man named Jason Matson. Not long after he killed Big Al, he called police and confessed to killing him, admitted he was holding a family member hostage, and he also said that he planned to kill this family member because he enjoyed killing. There was a four-hour standoff between Jason and police. Eventually, this family member he was holding hostage was let go, and Jason was arrested for the murder of Big Al. It's been reported that Jason had been in prison previously for a violent encounter that he was involved in back in 2013, and it's also reported that Ashley was around that day and was one of those people that witnessed the violent encounter. Jason was recently released around the time that Ashley disappeared, so it's a theory that Jason was involved in her disappearance. Because she would have been a witness because she was at the party. Right. There is no evidence that points to Jason being responsible for Ashley's disappearance. The FBI finally joined the case for Ashley Heavy Runner in 2018, but Kimberly has said that no progress has been made and they don't feel as though anything has been done. So an entire year later. Yes, a whole year it took to get here. No, and I mean, I'm not trying to say that they don't have a million cases going on and they 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 aren't doing everything that they could do it. That's just a really long time for a lot of leads to go cold. 
Well, and if we go back to the sweater and the boots that were found pretty, you know, lo- not long after that party had happened, maybe oh, if they would have actually been tested, there would have been some progress, but they, they got lost. They sat in a box. There was nothing. Okay. So timeline wise. All right. So Ashley is at a party with friends, wanted to get in the car. Friend said, no, she was too drunk. Then she randomly showed up at the second party, which is Big Al's party, where she's seen talking to 50-year-old Sam, right? Right. Then according to Sam, they party for the next five to six days at his cabin in the woods up the mountain. And then he apparently brings her down the mountain, is on the highway, falls asleep for 40 minutes while they're waiting for whatever V guy. And then he wakes up, she's gone. We know that there's a witness that said that they had seen a girl running away from a car on Highway 89, which is where she was, right? Right, which is where the sweater and the red stained boots were located. Uh Uh-huh. And then Paul is allegedly the one that picked her up. Then Tanisha or Tashina comes. I don't know why I wanted to say Tanisha. Tashina comes into play. Tashina states Paul has her. He knows more. Paul turns around, says Tashina knows more. She killed her because she found out we were having a sexual relationship and she went crazy. And then Tashina turns it back on Sam and says that Sam got jealous because Sam was upset that Ashley was also sleeping with Paul. Right. And claims that Sam's son, Doug, also approached her and said, my father killed Ashley. He got jealous. Ashley was sleeping with Paul. I know he choked her out in the woods. Okay. So we have that. So we have two separate stories. Sam choking her out in the woods and Tashina killing her in the woods as well though right Right. so allegedly all of this is everybody is pointing to the direction of she was killed in the woods yeah and then you've got this new situation that comes into play which which is is... big al with the jason guy right yes so jason was in prison for quite a long time he was released right at the same time frame that ashley was at big al's party there was a confrontation between him and big al right no so what had happened was the reason that jason was in prison was because there was a situation that happened back in 2013 and ashley was one of the witnesses to said situation And this, this situation that happened put him in prison. So the theory is, is that Jason gets out of prison around the same time that Ashley disappears. So it's like two birds for one stone. Exactly. Okay, so he then is now the third person that potentially could have killed her due to her being a part of the reason why he went to prison back in 2013. Right. And then he also killed Big Al. Do we know why he killed Big Al? No, he just called and said that he did it. He told police he confessed i'm assuming obviously there had to be some kind of bad blood there i don't know how that ties into it but or maybe because it was at big al's party big al saw something happening right or a confrontation happening went to stop i guess big al's not as big as he sounds (laughs) jason overtook him and maybe took all three of them because it would be big al ashley and this family member that was released right right right. do we know who the family member was nope just that it was a family member being held hostage it was a woman but she again after the standoff was completed and he was arrested she she was let go so no harm came to her jason did plan on killing her okay so he could have killed Ashley, and then obviously tortured and killed Big Al, maybe because he was upset from him intervening and trying to stop him from harming Ashley. So he took 
He also captured Big Al's relative, whoever it is, probably to get Big Al. No, it's, I'm sorry, it's Jason's relative that he oh. was holding hostage, his own relative. Oh, I thought it was Big no, Al's No, had relative. nothing to do with Big Al. Wow, what a time to be somebody's relative. Yes. <laughs> so not only can we not trust our friends, we can't trust our family. Yes, but again, there's no evidence that points to Jason being responsible for Ashley's disappearance. But we do know that for a fact, that is a factual link of Ashley being one of a part of the reasoning for him being sentenced to prison. Yes. And Kimberly has confirmed that in previous interviews. So many theories. There's a lot of theories so in this case. So many ways this can go. Yes. Okay. So again, like we said, the FBI finally got involved in 2018, but Kimberly and the family feel as though there's really been no progress to this day and nothing has really happened. I think at this point, it's unfortunate because that the main pieces of the evidence have obviously gone missing and they were never tested. Right. It's been a year later. You have one person that's already in in prison who knows where the other three are. Right. Well, and then you've got Paul that's already in jail for a completely Mm -hmm. different crime. Yeah, there's a lot of twists and turns in this one. A lot of different ways it can go. I'm just really sad that everybody got to... Well, I mean, Jason and Paul obviously are in jail and or prison, which is fine. Well, it's not... You know what I mean. But everybody else essentially walked away scot-free and is still living their lives like nothing happened. Right. After the FBI became a part of Ashley's case, local law enforcement for the tribe gave permission to Ashley's family for them to be able to search a trailer that was nearby that Paul and Tashina had been known to frequent. Wait, wait a minute. We waited and hold on a sec. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. So there was this random trailer that the BIA was pervy to a year prior and then when the FBI decided to come on board then they let the family know this information so we had no idea about this damn trailer until just now. I think the family knew about the trailer but they were not given permission to go inside the trailer and then once the FBI comes on board then the local tribe police gave permission to the family for them to be able to search it but tell me why the family again has to be searching for their own evidence. You know, I'm not going to lie, depending on how um, guarded this trailer was right. between this time frame. Right. I know I personally <laughs> would have already searched it. Right. Well, they did not. So they waited. Much better people than me. It had been known that Ashley had spent time in this trailer back in 2017. Did the family know that? Yeah, that's how we know. Okay. So the family knew that. Okay. During the search, dried blood was found under the carpet. Ashley's family cut out a piece of the carpet from the trailer, bagged it up, and sent it in to be processed. To this day, there has been no answer about the carpet. Why is Ashley and her family doing all of this work? Where's the tribe police, the BIA, the FBI? I'm I'm so mad right now. Yeah, it, it's just like the clothes found earlier. Why are they the ones having to bag up the evidence, send it in to make sure it gets processed, which it clearly didn't get processed in the first place. They're the ones doing all the work. I feel like nobody cares about individuals, and this is going to make me sound horrible. It's kind of pointing in the direction that unless you are a specific ethnicity and of a certain higher background, um, nobody cares. Right, right. That's so sad. It is. In 2018, Ashley's family was contacted to be informed that human remains were found on the reservation, but they turned out not to be Ashley's. 
Every year since Ashley has gone missing, her family holds Ashley's Walk. It's a two-day event that honors Ashley and brings awareness to cases of women that have gone missing. That is the case of Ashley Loring, Heavy Runner. What did you think? And I'm curious, do you have any speculation on who you think is involved? Or are you leaning one way versus the other? You know, it's really hard. Do we know who the trailer belongs to? I don't know who the trailer belongs to, but the way that it was reported, it kind of, well, no, I guess Paul and T, as she was frequently known as, they were just known to frequent the trailer. So whether or not it was their trailer, I'm not sure, but it took a whole year and I just can't get over that. And the fact that the blood was still found on the carpet and no one thought in that year besides her family, let's go in and see, there might be some evidence because we know Ashley has been known to frequent said trailer. And we know there's no connection between Jason, Tashina, and Paul. No connection. He's just kind of a random theory that I wanted to throw in there because who knows i mean could be involved it would make sense and the fact of big al coming up murdered i think plays a really important part in the story as well and him being involved in that aspect i don't know i think it can oh it can go so many ways it can go so many ways it can be that paul and her were having a you know substance abuse induced sexual relationship right? right and tashina found out and paul thought it was great that two of these women you know well tashina was jealous and fighting over him with Ashley who I'm sure was not even putting up a fight right and Tashina wanted to take her out to the trailer right and then just tortured the absolute hell out of her while Paul watched maybe helped out you have the trailer could have taken place where Jason initially took Big L to do whatever because who's to say that the dried blood in the carpet is even Ashley's It could be big owls. It could be other people that have gone missing. Well, and the fact that that was located in 2018, it is now 2023. I don't know that that blood's ever going to be tested. I don't know why they wouldn't just go back to that trailer and pull up more carpet and send it out to an independent testing facility. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know why you just wouldn't do that yourself at that point. The whole story is really sad. It is very sad. And I think that it's a fairly common that so much injustice is done to the indigenous community you know and it's it's very heartbreaking because if you think about it history wise what more can you really take from them at this point that you have not taken already right their land was stripped from it people say that they had the choice of selling it and they got paid for the land when it was never their choice in the first place to sell the land they're all dumped on these reservations that are desolate there's hardly any internet access any communication there's nothing of the modern times out there it's nothing but desert and it just breeds violence and alcoholism and rape and it's very sad it is very sad are you ready for some tea because (laughs) this week it's about us all right listen so Brittany (laughs) Brittany decided not to do any tea time and I decided not to have a joke this this week I know you're all very very upset about me not having my joke. We are the joke. That's seriously, why. seriously. We are absolutely <laughs> the joke. So what had happened? <laughs> I just 
want to give you some background information, okay? So the house that we moved into a little over two years ago, so it was initially built in like the 70s and there was the initial owners was a husband, wife, and they had a son. The husband, he was a truck driver, so he was gone all the time working. The wife suffered from mental illness from what we've learned from our surrounding neighbors because our house obviously has been known as the sketchy house until we moved <laughs> in. From all the neighbor reports. (laughs) Anyway, so said lady initially set the house on fire in the early 2000s, all on her own by lighting these phone books on fire. And as the fire department came, she was literally outside screaming to let the effort burn and was super mad that they were putting the (laughs) fire out. So then fast forward, the house is rebuilt in early 2000s, right? And then we bought it, not knowing about any of this. There's nothing wrong with the foundation, just for all you people that are about to say some stuff. (laughs) Anyway, she passed away in the home or half passed away, I guess you could say, under questionable circumstances. Essentially, she overdosed upstairs and then was taken to the hospital via ambulance to where she actually passed away. Anyway, just so you know. And we know that the house has a ghost. We know that she is here. And I'm sure that we have those skeptics, because I am also a skeptic, that no, ghosts don't exist. You guys are making this stuff up. No, we're really we're really not. There is a ghost in this house. Her name is Vicky, which is the lady back in the day. And she's really nice. She's not malicious. She's not negative. Honestly, she leaves everybody alone. She irritates the dogs every now and then. But past that... She usually doesn't do anything. She's just, she's here. So about a month ago, (laughs) I'm in a meeting at work and all of a sudden I get this notification that the house alarm has been triggered. So it's right around the time that Brittany's coming home from work. And so I'm confused because we have a ring camera and I don't have any notifications of Brittany pulling in to set the alarm off, right? So then I disarmed it, whatever, and we have cameras inside the house. So I checked on the kids because we're those kind of dog parents. Gotta know what they're doing at all times, okay? (laughs) So we check on them. They seem to be fine. And then all of a sudden I notice that our garage door is open. And Brittany and I are very routine type people. That garage door is dead bolted at all times, especially when we come home. Like there's never a chance that that door is going to be unlocked. Anyway, so I'm looking at the door and it's wide open. So it looks like somebody had just threw it open and just left it open. So that's initially what set off the alarm. So I call Brittany and I'm like, hey, did you set off the alarm? And Brittany's like, what are you talking about? I'm driving home. I'm on the freeway. And you were like, what? 10, 15 minutes away. Yeah, I was close. Yeah. So she gets home, lets me know what I already know, which is the garage door is wide open. So we just chalk it up to it being Vicky, okay? Because Vicky has also locked our one dog, his name is Oakland, in the guest bedroom because there's no other way he could have gotten in there because we leave those doors closed and there's no way to open them unless you physically open them. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So fast forward to last night, now that you have all these fun facts, okay? (laughs) I have severe insomnia. So I average maybe one to three hours of sleep a night. Meanwhile, Brittany, okay, anytime it turns 7.30 p.m., like a 98-year-old woman, (laughs) Brittany is ready to go to bed, and that is her bedtime. And that's also when our two dogs get tired, so that's also their bedtime. So these three will go upstairs and pass the hell out with Within like seconds. I'm not even joking. It must be really nice. I can't relate. Meanwhile, I'm up, usually working, and I'm up and I'll be awake until about 3 a.m. and then I go to sleep and I'll sleep for a couple of hours to wake up at like five or six. 
I hardly ever fall asleep. And if I do, I'm a very, very light sleeper. Brittany can just snore loud, which she's notorious <laughs> for doing. Okay. And it will wake me up. And then I try to wake her up because it drives me insane. Anyway, so all of a sudden we, I know I'm in a dead sleep because I was dreaming. And then all of a sudden I'm being woken up by our two dogs ferociously barking. And Brittany's waking up and screaming, also confused. <laughs> Okay, so we're both like, what is happening? It was and, chaos. Yes, and Brittany's, Brittany's yelling at the dogs, and then I'm yelling at Brittany to <laughs> shut up because I can hear this high-pitched noise, what sounds like the alarm is being triggered or it's going off. Okay, so I'm super confused because all four of us are in the bedroom. <laughs> the door is closed, so who the hell is tripping the alarm? So I grab my phone, flip on the light, and I go out the, the bedroom door to go disarm the alarm. And as I go out the door, I make eye contact with my best friend who I know is listening. So I make <laughs> eye contact with her, and mind you, I'm in my underwear. All right, I just, I just wanna point that out. I'm in my underwear, it's fine. People sleep in their underwear. We're all gonna get over it, except for me. And I see her face. And so in my mind, and I only saw her face at this moment. So I'm looking at her like, why did you set off my alarm? Because she has a key to the house. So I'm looking at her like, you set off my alarm. What the hell are you doing in the house? And then my eye adjusts to the dark. And then I see these two tall police officers standing behind her and I went through like 60 emotions in literally two seconds. This was a two second reaction, okay? But all of this is slow motion happening and then it dawns on me, oh my god, I'm in my underwear and there's two police officers. So I sidestep into the bathroom while on the phone as I'm the getting a call. <laughs> as I'm getting a call from the alarm company asking us for our code word and if we're safe. So I take care of that run into the bedroom, hurry and put on some pants, run back down there, apologize profusely for looking like a moron and being really, really confused <laughs> as to what's happening, okay? So that's the basis of this story. Meanwhile, I open the door. I just want to point this out. Make eye contact with her while she's sitting on the couch. Which is our best friend. Thought one of the police officers was her husband. And I'm confused. So I close the door to go back to bed. Because we both, <laughs> now everybody knows whose priority is what. Anyway, so <laughs> we go downstairs. I clear it up with the cops. Apologize. They make sure that we're safe. And then I find out that they have already done an entire sweep of the house downstairs. Guns drawn. Okay, yeah. Their guns were drawn. Flashlights were out. All three of them are randomly standing in the dark. So we clear everything, they make sure that we're safe, and they leave. And our poor best friend, and I have been friends with her for 12 to 15 years, and I can't even imagine how terrified she was because we're not the type of people, if you call us, that we don't answer if we're available, and that we don't answer the door if we're home, or things like that. It's very out of the ordinary. You would also think that most people would wake up to cops yelling in your house to make your presence known that there are police. We didn't hear a thing. No, we heard nothing but the dogs barking, waking <laughs> us up. So our best friend completely fills everything in, okay? 
So this was, I was awake, we all woke up to this chaos ensued situation, and it ended about 12, 17, 12, 18 a.m. So I'm gonna rewind back to the beginning. So apparently the alarm was tripped, okay? And when the alarm is going off in our house, it's not quiet. I just, I want to emphasize, it is not quiet. It is loud as hell. You literally would have to be dead, obviously. (laughs) not hear the alarm going off like we were apparently. So the alarm is going off. We have 30 seconds to disarm the alarm. And if not, then it calls the security, our security company, right? And then they attempt to call me first, Brittany second. And if they don't get a hold of either of us, they contact the third emergency contact, which is my best friend that showed up. And she has the code and she also has the safe word or whatever it is to disarm the alarm. So she lets the lady know what the code word is and the lady said, I've tried contacting them. There's no response. Do you want us to send the police? So my best friend says, yes, I'm about 10 minutes away. I'm on my way now. Wakes up in a panic. (laughs) So my best friend... in the car and she's talking to the agent and she's like should I should I go over there and the lady goes I mean if you want to (laughs) and meanwhile me being a person of color right we all know how these things work out in in the scary movies colored people we're always the first people to die so anything that's gonna put yourself in danger all colored people it's not just me I promise refer to it as oh that's a white people thing Okay, because you guys go swimming with the sharks and the cages and you know, okay, none of us want anything to do with any of that. And so I think that's what that agent was thinking when she was like, I mean, you could. So she asked our best friend, what do you drive? And our best friend said, it's a transit. And she went, what? <laughs> it's a Ford Transit because she has six kids. So it's a big van. I know. No judgments. Okay. Anyway, it's really great and spacious and she helps us move stuff. So no complaints. Fast forwarding. So she gets here and we're, I'm playing back the video and you frantically see her at the front door trying to <laughs> unlock the door in the dark for like five seconds. And then they open the door and the two police officers say very loudly, I might add, whatever city that we live in, police, is there anybody home? And then they state, it's the police, we're going to come in, make yourself known. Very loudly. Yes, very loudly, which we also did not hear because we were upstairs dead. (laughs) Anyway, so then my best friend's like, oh my god, somebody's murdered my two friends and their two dogs, everybody's silent, and usually our dogs hear everything, especially our Akbosh. She is an alarm all on her own. So I'm very surprised that she was passed out too. Anywho, somebody must have drugged us in our sleep. (laughs) So the police come in, guns drawn per the camera, right? And they're going through the house. But before they do, they turn to my best friend and they said, who should be in this home? And she said, Jessica and Brittany, they're the two owners. And she said, they should be home. And the officer is right in front of the door. There's one right behind him, okay? And he turns to who's behind the other officer and says, wait, they should be home? And she said, yeah, the two owners. And he looked at his partner and went, oh, okay. And the okay, his voice went higher, like, oh, we're really going to have to do this. And so they pull their guns out and come into the house, guns drawn and are one up and down searching all the rooms, also screaming still at this time, by the way, 
and then enters me in my underwear on the phone, confused, <laughs> Brittany, avoiding the entire situation, okay? So at the very end, this is my favorite part, because this is a very Brittany thing. And for those of you that don't know Brittany, I hope you're getting to know her so well through this podcast in more ways than I can imagine. The officer asks, hey, can I get your information just for our report? And I was like, of course, I'm so sorry. And he's looking at Brittany and he goes, what is your information? To which Brittany turns around and walks away. <laughs> because Brittany's biggest fear is, oh no, I did something wrong. Even though she did nothing wrong. And so she ran away. And so he turns to me confused. And I'm just like, oh my God, Brittany, okay. Here's my information, my name, <laughs> date of birth. And then he leaves. And then our poor best friend who's sitting on the couch, still going through heart palpitations, imagining that we were literally murdered and that this person was holding us hostage and was <laughs> killing the dogs while they were doing whatever in the house. And then she goes to say, I just want you two to know that I blame you and thanks a lot, T on crime. Before we end this episode, we wanted to announce that our podcast, The Tea on Crime, has now joined Patreon. For those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, it is a monthly subscription page platform that will be ad-free with bonus episodes that are exclusive only to our Patreon listeners. So head on over to our page at patreon.com slash teaoncrime to hear more tea being spilled. We're really excited to provide you with bonus content. And then as always, everybody, we really appreciate your support. That's it for today's episode. For all of our teaaholics that enjoyed our show today, please remember to go and rate the show on whatever platform you are listening to. Give us a follow on Facebook at Tea on Crime Podcast, Instagram at Tea on Crime Podcast, Twitter at Tea on Crime Pod, and TikTok at Tea on Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Britt. And I'm your co-host, Jessica, and we will be back next week to serve you more tea on all things true crime. Bye!